to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, darling. Let's pray. Father, thank you for all that you speak through um, your word to us. We pray this morning that we would know what it means to be a community of joy in this place and for your world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. July 2016. I was fortunate enough to be wandering through Manhattan, New York City, on the occasion of my friend Phil's stag do. Now, I was uh, the person setting the tasks for him to complete uh, as the best man. But don't worry, there was nothing outrageous, too outrageous, going on. Um, We'd given him a few tasks to complete as we went around Central Park and through um, Times Square. And if you've ever been through Times Square, there are some quite surreal goings on happening there. So everything we were doing was very low key by comparison. Now, towards the end of the night, we were fancying some New York burgers um, and we were heading towards a restaurant and we were walking past the uh, Richard Rogers Theatre. And there was a queue that went down the road, around the block, and snaked back on itself. And I was thinking, what on earth are these people queuing for? And I stopped somebody and I said, in my politest uh, British accent, "Uh, excuse me, what, what is it that you're queuing for? And they said, Hamilton. I said, Hamilton, what's that? Hamilton? You don't know Hamilton? Now at this point, when someone said Hamilton to me, I thought Lewis Hamilton, the racing driver, right? They were queuing to go and watch Hamilton the musical. It was a musical that had been on its Broadway um, showing for about nine months at that point. It was an absolute smash hit. Every single showing was sold out. You could not get tickets for love nor money. Now, these people were trying to get the very last few buy-on-the-door tickets for Hamilton. It was something that has continued to go on and on in in its um, popularity. They've filmed it, and it's now on Disney+, Plus, so you can watch it there. Um, I know the first two songs off by heart. I practiced them, um, much to Emily's disdain and frustration. Um, It's banned from our house whenever Emily's there. But Hamilton has been absolutely massive. Now, if you don't know anything about it, it tells the story of the founding fathers um, and everything that happened in America at that time from the perspective of America now and the sort of rap songs and all of that sort of stuff. And it's absolutely fascinating. Um, I think we've got a short clip that we're going to show you of Hamilton if you've never heard of it. Patiently waiting, I'm passionately smashing Every expectation, every action's an act of creation I'm laughing in the face of casualties of sorrow For the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow And I am not throwing away my shot I am not throwing away my shot And you will just like my country I'm not scrappy and hungry And I'm not throwing away my shot We gonna rise up, time to take shot We gonna rise up, time to take shot We gonna rise up, rise up Time to take shot, I am not throwing away my shot. No. Um, 
You might have been able to see it from that short clip, but the thing that is incredible about Hamilton is it has this absolutely beautiful choreography. The way that people move in and out of each other's stories. There's this revolving um, floor where they have the songs and people come to the front and then they go out to the back and it's this beautifully put together story. There's one person who's at the very center of the story, Alexander Hamilton, one of these founding fathers, but it tells the story of so many different people, including George Washington, Aaron Burr, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and humorously, King George III. Now, you might be wondering, what on earth have I just spent the last three minutes talking about Hamilton for on my final preach? Have I gone slightly rogue? Rich is looking at me going, no, this is normal for James. It's all okay. <laughs> there is a point, I promise. But in our passage today from Philippians 2, we're carrying on this exhortation for the people in Philippi at that time to discover joy, not because of their circumstances, not because of a happiness that has come about because of these perfect situations that have come together and converged, but because of discovering joy in the person of Jesus, a joy which is found beyond themselves, a joy which Paul says is to be discovered and shared together in the company of the church, the community of the Holy Spirit, as the missiologist Leslie Newbegin describes it. In other words, this is a joy which is not to be kept to ourselves. Yes, we have someone who is at the center of our story, not a musical, but a story, and that person is Jesus who takes center stage, but it's not about us stepping in to be with our buddy Jesus whilst everyone else waits around the edges. The calling of the church is to be a community who draw everybody into the middle of that story. A beautiful interweaving web of narratives and um, ways that God has showed up in people's lives so that we can show his testimony and his faithfulness to one another and reflect it to one another. And that's why Jesus says in Matthew 18, where two or three or a hundred are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them, in the very center. Paul's request of the Philippian church in verse two, at first glance, appears quite self-serving. He says, I want you guys to make my joy complete. But it isn't about self-service. He goes on, he says, be like-minded, have the same love, be one in the spirit. For Paul, joy is not just experienced, but made complete by the church living out its true identity as not just a group of individuals, but as a people centered around Jesus in unity, synchronized to act with and for one another, preferring one another in love. Like that revolving stage floor in Hamilton, different voices come to the fore. We spotlight different uh, ministry parts of our church. We say, this is what we're about. We want to be involved in all of the different spheres of society because we believe that as the church, we're called to play our part in the mission and ministry of God in Worcester and further afield. And we have this beautiful, great cacophony of voice and color and vibrancy that is the church. But unlike 
the musical Hamilton. The church is not aiming for a perfectly polished performance that's going to wow the crowds and bring people to a standing ovation. The church is marked by a messy authenticity. You don't have to be around a church, any church, for any period of time to see that actually it has some weaknesses and it has some blind spots. That is just what it means to be a human community. The church is a beautiful but very fragile thing. And the church is not exempt from problems. But what I've seen over and over again in 10 and a half years of being here at All Saints is that this is a community who are willing to do some of those things I spoke about last week, to ask forgiveness when it is required and to extend it freely and graciously, to pray for God's kingdom to come here in Worcester and in our surrounding areas as it is in heaven, to not give up doing that, to want to see it again and again, to teach God's word and so that we can then act out upon it, that it isn't just this head knowledge, but it's something that we then live out in our day today and to believe that God will come and minister to us by his Holy Spirit when we ask him. This church is an authentic community of Christians who want to press in to God's mission so that not that we are glorified, not that we make a name for ourselves, but so that he is glorified. We were talking about these verses in Philippians 2 as part of the Prisca Preaching Hub. A shout out to Laura Gallagher and her team who put that together last term. And we were reading from verse 6. It says, though he, Jesus, was in the form of God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped and held onto. Jesus did not parade himself as the God-man, superstar, center of attention. In fact, he quite often, if you read the gospel, shrank back into the background, withdrawing spending time away from the crowds who wanted to put him on a pedestal. To set that example that Paul asks of the church here in verse three, doing nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. We don't want to be a people who assume center stage, but we want to be a people who give away who draw others into the center and say there is something to be discovered in your story, though it might be broken and fragile, that God can use to heal and redeem and restore. To walk alongside those who are in need, to prefer the other. Well, how did he do this? Jesus, verse 7 Paul tells us that he did this by entering into fragile human form, being born in human likeness, being him, making himself nothing, emptying himself of his rightful place at the right hand of God to enter into a messy and hurting world. And the trajectory that he took to get here, well, he could have just appeared out of nowhere, couldn't he? Just like, do you remember Mr. Ben and the shopkeeper? Ding! He just appears out of nowhere. But Jesus did it through the trajectory of childbirth. It doesn't get much more authentically messy than that, does it? 
And trust me, I've seen it three times. <laughs> My point is, Jesus could have just appeared. He could have just come down and said, I'm here, I'm God in human flesh. But he risked being born as a baby. He risked being someone who could taste and smell and get sick and stumble and all the other things that growing toddlers do. To be a child who risked not being popular with friends. To be someone who had to learn at school to learn Hebrew. To have to learn how to follow his father's footsteps on earth and learn a carpentry trade. To know what it's like to get a splinter in your finger, I would imagine. And all through this time, he did it by listening intently to his father. John 5, it says, the son can only do what he sees the father doing, a constant dependency on his father. And it's from that place of submission that the father exalts the son. The son who it tells us humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, bearing the brunt of a world that is full of hurt and pain, gladly not holding on to his position and his status, but stepping into our situation so that at his name, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So for us as followers of Jesus, Lordship means to follow after him in every area of our life, not just on this Sunday as we gather week by week, but Monday through Saturday as well, through all of the different areas of our life, to acknowledge his lordship over our relationships, those things that can be really messy and painful and hurtful too. Our relationships matter so much. We've looked at this in the last couple of months, this vertical axis, us and God, it impacts upon the way that we are with one another at the same time. If you want a refresher on what it means to follow after the way of Jesus, then come along to our evening gatherings, look up at our, um, the audio and the teaching series online. It's a good refresher for us as we think, what does it mean to follow this cross-shaped life? So Paul's request of the church to experience joy in community, to be like-minded, to have the same love, to be one in the spirit. It sounds good on paper, doesn't it? But is it even possible? Or is this just some fanciful theological utopia, pie in the sky thinking that will never actually come to pass? Turn to somebody who sat next to you for a minute and say to them, you matter to this church more than you could ever know. You matter to this church more than you could ever know. Okay? And now I want you to turn to the person on the other side of you who you didn't pick first and explain to them why you didn't say it first to them. Okay? <laughs> The truth is, every single one of us is crucial to the church. Not just us as all saints, but to the wider global community of faith of whatever denomination, whatever background. 
Whatever the things that we might disagree about doctrinally, each of us represents something of God. We are image bearers of the God who created us and calls us to follow him and to go out in mission to draw more people into that ever-widening circle of love and wholeness. You represent something of God to our community that nobody else can. Like the individual tiles of a mosaic that make up a bigger picture. That is what we are. We might have rough edges, but when we're put together, we make something beautiful. So when we think about being of the same mind, having the same love, being one in the spirit, it's not a call to just be a uniform, homogenous blob of people, to be a robotic, programmed people, but to know our own identity with all of our little quirks and our foibles, to celebrate our difference, and to say Jesus is the one who is at the center of it all, so that we can have this common sharing in the spirit. And it is the spirit, God's Holy Spirit, who is alive and active and works in and through us when we call upon him who makes that possible. So that we can draw close to God, but also to one another as well. We do it by emulating Jesus' example to be a people who share our frailty and our vulnerability with one another. Most of us are past the baby stage. (laughs) We've done that whole process. But we're still called to be a people who are dependent upon one another, to be dependent upon the Father. The author, Annie Dillard, wrote an essay entitled An Expedition to the Pole. And it tells the well-known and often not so well-known attempts of people to make it to both the North and the South Poles. In each of these scenes, she recounts determined, idealistic, and often quite foolish explorers who face severe freezing conditions, frequent frostbite, and extreme mental fatigue. Now, throughout this essay, she draws parallel between these crazy adventurers and her local community of faith in her little church. Her conclusion is this. There is no such thing as a solitary polar explorer, fine as that conception is, someone marching heroically on their way to the very outer edges of human existence. But so too is there no such thing as a solitary Christian. In other words, whether we are traveling to the edges of our globe, or whether we're traveling into the heart of God. We cannot do it alone. We need one another to carry each other's burdens, to reflect Jesus to one another, to pray for one another, to discover that joy together which is beyond ourselves. The calling to be somebody who goes and does those crazy adventures to the pole might be for the select few, but the journey into the heart of God All of us are invited, every single one of us. And so as we finish, to return to Paul's opening request to make his joy complete by being like-minded 
having the same love, being one in the spirit. This is the lifetime work of the church. We're not going to achieve this overnight. Just like the cast of a play like Hamilton, it goes through different iterations. People come and go. There are new actors. There are new choreographers, new sound people. People change, and that's okay. But our call for as long as we are here is to be the people of God in this place so that we can play our part in seeing his kingdom come, his will be done, to see this city transformed in the name of Jesus. And fraught though it is with difficulty and challenge, with often shifting cultural goalposts, there is one person who is central, who takes center stage, a very present help in times of need, secure and steadfast. And that person is Jesus. So when we do it together, as a family, as family we go, we know just a little bit more of that completeness of joy that spreads like a wildfire and changes our communities inside out with the scandalous, topsy-turvy, inside-out love that God changes us and then changes our world around us. And only Jesus can offer that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So friends, this is our mission. This is our calling. This is our mandate. And I believe, truly, to half quote Hamilton, we're not going to throw away our shot because we believe that God is for us as a community, that he sends us out to be his people and that we'll see his kingdom come. If you're willing and able, would you stand with me? We're going to pray for a moment or two. Just look around for a second. Look at this ragtag bunch of strangers and misfits. Because that is who we are, if we're honest. We're a group of individuals who have known our fragility and our brokenness, but God has given us our identity as children of God. He has called us together from different parts of Worcestershire and much further afield, I am sure. And that we do this just as many other churches do this all the way around our country and our world to know that we are part of something that is so much bigger. There is a joy to be discovered which is so far beyond ourselves. And I think what we need this morning is just another glimpse of that joy. So we're going to pray. Come Holy Spirit. Come among us. Come and reveal to us another snapshot of what joy looks like in community. Just wait for a moment.
Holy Spirit. The scriptures say the joy of the Lord is our strength. Do you need strength this morning? Do you feel weak? Heavy burden? In need of the touch of God? You just tell God, lay those things upon him. His shoulders are broad to carry them. Don't carry it alone. joy part of this discovering of joy in community is when we're honest and open with one another when we say actually Everything isn't quite.